for the very few people who actually listen to this podcast, which I'm pretty sure is very little because I, I obsessively check the views like any pessimistically hedonistic human being. But aside from that, the reason I haven't done one of these film reviews in a long time is because although I'd only done a few overall in comparison to the interviews I do, I was relatively hesitant because there was something, as I mentioned, hedonistic about all this and I don't know I just felt that if I was just talking with myself that I would just be kind of I would just be promoting my own narcissism but then again when you think about anything that's artistic there is a narcissistic component to it because ultimately I believe every artist in a sense is a vain narcissist because we're trying to prove our relevance in the universe, in a universe that really doesn't give much of a shit about us, and I know that's not exactly the most optimistic take I can have when pursuing your passion. In this case, my passion is writing, although I've gotten a kick out of talking about movies on a podcast, or talking with filmmakers about movies, or film culture on a podcast, but <clears throat> I just decided, fuck it, you know what? And I think Whiplash is the perfect film for I guess a mini semi comeback. I don't know, even know what this is. I mean, it's only been a few months, but then again, this podcast has only been around for almost seven months, so I doubt there's any real relevance to that. But I think Whiplash is an important film to talk about because, in many ways, it's a film that can res- that resonates with a lot of artists. I mean, you don't have to necessarily be pursuing a career in jazz or anything musically based. But the fact that it's just about a guy, it, it's about a guy pursuing his passion, and when you're when you're passionate about something that's artistic and that many people just don't understand to the degree that you do, or even relate to it remotely, it can be fucking depressing. Because what I love about Whiplash is that in the near eight year, no, actually. 2022 yeah well it did come out in 2014 i saw it in early 2015 but it's almost eight years and it's going to be it's been a few years it'll probably pretty much be a decade old and i don't know when when it was started when they started filming but it'll probably range within that close to 10 year gap but anyway the thing about whiplash that's so fascinating is that it is still talked about to this day Granted, and there are a lot of things that are talked about. It's not just the ending, even though that is probably one of the most interesting aspects of the film, whether it's more optimistic or pessimistic. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, because Whiplash is a film rich with enough content to promote so many conversations, because it explores so many things. The idea of pursuing your art, the idea of what you what you measure as greatness, and just seeing how what is the real price you're willing to pay to achieve that greatness because as i've met i've mentioned in interviews i've done with filmmakers in this podcast or even film reviews that i'm a big fan of frederick nietzsche and his idea of the ubermensch or just the his perception of the idea of greatness and one thing he talked about greatness was that it doesn't it's not about morality and he he cites a lot of figures they weren't exactly moral as a means of, of illustrating them as ubermatch. And one of them was Napoleon Bonaparte. And although I'm not a history buff, if you're a guy like Napoleon Bonaparte where you're leading an army during wartime, you got to be brutal as fuck. And, to, 
And even if you you have nobleistic ideals, to be in that position of leadership, whether it's Napoleon or Alexander the Great, you have to be willing to spill a lot of blood and do a lot of horrible shit. And yet, that can still constitute a level of greatness because you're willing to do that. I'm not, I'm not sure how many of the people listening to this, if any, are anime fans, but one of my favorite animes is Code Geass, and the character of Lelouch v. Britannia is the leader of this resistance known as the Black Knights, and there's a line he repeats is that the only ones allowed to kill are those prepared to be killed. And I tend to agree with that, because it means that if you're going to pursue something that on some level is on some level requires great moral sacrifice with the end goal being some measure of greatness if you're willing to accept the responsibility of what it takes i agree i agree with you your willingness to do it because at least you're acknowledging hey i'm going to do something that i believe is great and if it means making horrible sacrifices i'm willing to carry those sins on my back I'm willing to take that responsibility. I won't make excuses for myself. I won't blame anybody if I fuck up. And in many ways, Whiplash, I guess to some extent, I mean, not like the character Miles Teller's character is going to go murder anybody. I mean, it is a, a film about, a, it's a self-destructive portrait about an artist who wants to be a great drummer, but... It also entails all the sacrifices he's willing to make or what he's willing to tolerate just so he can be someone akin to the next uh, Buddy Rich, Bill Evans, or Charlie Parker. And I'm not a ja- I'm not a jazz fan. I've listened to Charlie Parker. And if you haven't, you really should check it out. Download his music when you get a chance. But I'm not an expert. I'm just throwing out names of legends that people are familiar with, whether you or even, I mean... I would have a better time throwing Ray Charles, but that would just come off as kind of a cliche given that when you think of another great jazz film, you think of Ray with Jamie Foxx, which I haven't seen in over 10 years, and I think that is a fantastic movie. But going back to Whiplash, the fact that Andrew wants to go to that that level, the fact that he's willing to engage in a very toxic relationship with a mentor, the uh, Terrence Fletcher, played by uh, J.K. Simmons, it just goes to show you that, well, it doesn't go to show it, just go to show you, it just presents the question of what you're willing to tolerate because I think even the relationship itself, toxic and as chaotic as it is, the fact that he continues to endure that abuse, it says something about Andrew and what type of artist he is and what he really values. Because, again, the film is rich with so much con- content and dimension that it's very, it would be, I don't think you could boil it down to just one podcast episode because, hell, I might just do more than one on Whiplash because Whiplash is one of those movies that just makes you think on a multitude of factors, especially if you're an artistic person. Because if you're an artistic person you're cur- and you're really passionate about what you're doing, you're going to come across people that express doubt about what you're doing or what you're willing to do to pursue it or whether there's a point to it or what what kind of perspective you need as need as opposed to the risks or what you could lose if you go after that passion 
And you see plenty of that in Whiplash, especially with Andrew's family. And you know what? I know this may sound mean and crude to all the loving, unconditional parents like Andrew's father, because, I mean, the actor that played him, oh, God damn it. I'm actually going to check right now to see what his name was, just to be sure, because I really, I've seen the heat. I mean, he was one of the douchey, he was the douchey corporate guy in Aliens. Let's see, I'm actually looking at his name right now. God, I feel like such a fucking asshole. Let's have a look. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry for all the for all the people. Yeah, Paul Reisner. No, Paul Reiser, not Reisner. Anyway, when it comes to Andrew's father, you can tell that he that he's a, the loving parent who loves their child no matter what unconditionally they will be there for them no matter what but at the same time there are plenty of moments in the film where he expresses doubt about his son or even he even gives that no one say snide so much as that patronizing snare a parent says to a child i said they say i just don't No, it's more like yeah it's patronizing but in a disappointing kind of fashion where they say i just don't understand you i don't get it I just want what's best for you. Almost, and I know that there's a good intent in those statements, but that's only their perception of what is considered good in their eyes, because <sighs> I once read a quote by Friedrich Nietzsche about, yeah, I'm going, yeah, I'm just giving Nietzsche his big hand job. I know. But hey, I'm a fan of his work, so bear with me. Anyway, when it comes to what Nietzsche said about mothers, he said that some mothers, well, I, not, I mean, oh God, now I'm just going to be doing searches for everything I talk about, but he actually said something very fascinating about mothers and how, and how you can actually, you can actually divide the type, well, I mean, distinguish the types of love that they embody. And I'm actually, go well, I'm not Googling it, I'm duck duck going it. And this, this podcast is Google free. All duck duck go. He's basically said some mothers need happy children, others need unhappy ones, otherwise, they cannot prove their maternal values. Or some, other, in, there's even one that goes like this. This mother needs happy, reputable children, and that one needs unhappy ones. Otherwise, she cannot show her kindness as a mother. And although and Andrew's father, in a way, plays the role of both parents, given that Andrew's mom left him as a child, and I think that statement Nietzsche says really fits with the psychology of a lot of loving parents who claim their love is unconditional. Now, I don't want to say that Nietzsche is absolutely right about this, but it does get you think about the way your own parent loves you whenever they disagree with something you're really passionate about. And as you learn more over the course of the film through Fletcher's uh, psychological tactics, because he's really good at breaking down a person and making them think he's your friend and then using anything you give him against you, when he learns that Andrew's father was a failed writer and his mother left him, you learn, I mean, that says a lot about it, what Andrew, how Andrew compares himself. I mean, 
I would never, I mean, in some ways, Fletcher is a role model for Andrew. I mean, he's a toxic role model. I mean, the fact that he would ever want to be like Fletcher is not something you should aspire towards. I mean, if I was Andrew at the end of Whiplash after I succeeded and Fletcher congratulated me, I would tell him to go fuck himself. Unless I could use him to get good co- good connections and then his use for me. I know. Very sociopathic, but you know what? So was Fletcher and the way he treated his students. But when comparing the way Andrew looks at his father, you could argue that he very much sees him as a negative role model. And I've seen Jordan Peterson, and I've listened to Jordan Peterson talk about how if you can't have positive role models in life, you can have negative role models. And a negative role model is just like an example of a person you absolutely do not want to be. And clearly Andrew's father, in his eyes, is that, that person he does not want to be. I've even re- I've actually read the script to Whiplash, the shooting script, and the scene where, for those familiar with the climax of the film, I mean, for the, those who've seen the film, you obviously you've seen the ending and how the first time that Fletcher, from that moment Fletcher gets his mini revenge and humiliates Andrew in front of that entire presentation, even at the risk of his own reputation, when Andrew's about to go to his father, the script actually frames that in a different light where Andrew decides to turn around, his father begs him to come back, and then security stops him. And uh, when the security asks Andrew, do you know this man? And he just says, no. I know I did the, I over-dramatized it, but I can imagine if that scene had played out in the film, Andrew would have done it in a very cold and heartless fashion. Although there is something very cold and heartless in that scene itself when he turns around and he decides to stand up to Fletcher instead of embracing his father's love as a means of comfort because you see on his father's face the last shot of Paul Reisner looking at his son he's realized just how big the distance between him and his son is that when it comes to the sophistication of what his son is pursuing his son is in a different it's on a different plane of reality a different class true greatness the kind of greatness that gets you remembered and even Andrew points that out in a family dinner where he states I would rather be dead broke and full of heroin at 30 and have people talking about me at a dinner table than being healthy at 90 and have no one remember me basically he's afraid he doesn't want to be irrelevant he doesn't want to be the average human being and yeah again my love for Nietzsche but when you look at if you were to if you were to like point out an ubermensch versus a last man standout in this film Andrew's father is the last man he's overweight he's complacent with his role as a high school English teacher after failing at writing Andrew on the other hand is willing to risk everything to become the great writer I mean not the great writer the great uh, drummer that he aspires to be even if it means not having a girlfriend, destroying his sanity, and even looking for the approval and tolerating the abuse of a mentor like a Fletcher who is borderline very, just as deranged as Andrew because in many ways Fletcher is like the full embodiment of what Andrew could become if he didn't if he didn't die at a young age but he just continued doing what he did because in many ways 
Fletcher has a passion of his own as a mentor because even though he he's not a conductor, he's skill he's well versed enough in music to teach students in the multiple multiple musical roles they have. I mean the statement he makes to Andrew says, I wasn't there to conduct any asshole can wave their arms around. I was there to push people beyond what's expected because he believes that the worst two lang the worst two words in the English language are good job and I kinda I do end up agreeing with him because I think that anybody who is passionate about what they're pursuing in life or anything any artistic craft that they love, I think just being satisfied is so antithetical to the idea of that passion. I mean, take for instance the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger is the same age as the President of the United States and he's still going like a madman. He is still dancing. He is still going after what he loves. Roger Waters is, I think he's in his late 70s, but yet he's still fucking performing and he's still fucking awesome. So that tells you they're never gonna stop I mean, if you throw the word retirement at them, they're going to say, get the fuck out of here. And I say that too, because you know what? Even as a writer myself, even if I succeeded with my writing, I would fucking, I would rather die doing, constantly doing it than get, just settle and be okay with just living a peaceful, I mean, I want a peaceful life where I can at least continue writing, but you know, I'm not going to fucking watch TV all day. Like a lot of senior citizens who worked a fucking eight-hour job and got a fucking pension. I mean, I once heard of a story of a guy who worked 30 years as a, uh, as, oh God, as an accountant. And after that, he got quit because he was so frustrated with the bullshit of the job. And then all he got was, an, yeah, he got a nice pension, but what, but then, fuck. He was still well. Didn't seem like he was completely satisfied, and that's a story I feel is very common among people who take the take the safe route. They take a job that provides some measure of security, even for the future. And once they get that money, they soon realize they gave up decades of their life just so they can enjoy it. The last bit of it, when they're not as spry as they used to be. Their intellect, I mean, their their brain capacity is probably depleted because of all the mental exhaustion and all whatever bad food they were eating at the time, just to compensate for the fact that I fucking hate they fucking hate their job, and I just look at that life and I think fuck that, and I think Andrew in many ways, and I mean obviously I mentioned before that Andrew does in many in, in all the ways that you see how he's willing to push himself to meet the expectations of someone like Fletcher, and Fletcher is willing to do that to himself. I mean, he's willing to sacrifice his own mind and soul just to create a work of art. He wanted to bring the next Charlie Parker, the next Bill Evans, the next Buddy Rich, whoever, just a measure of greatness that rarely come that rarely comes along and people can't really understand because I was listening to Chris Williams' podcast, and I don't remember the name of the guest, but he talked about that all those great figures we love, whether it's the Lance Armstrongs or the Babe Ruths or, or just or the James Camerons, that level of greatness did not come out of nowhere. It took a lot of sacrifice, and probably the kind of sacrifices most people would be morally 
hesitant to make. I I once went to a, I once took an eight week workshop at the New York Film Academy, and they told us a story about James Cameron. I don't know if it's true or not, and I think whether it is true or not is irrelevant. Even though James Cameron is known for having a dip, being difficult and being strict, but um, they basically told a story where James Cameron was being heckled by his wife, and I think it was I don't know which wife it was, but she basically told him. Why can't you be a better father to your son or spend more time? And he said something very interesting. Any stupid fuck can be a father. It takes real, it takes hard work or real sacrifice to do what I do. And as crude as that statement is, because I think that there is an importance in having a father in your life or having a positive role model that can motivate you to be better and pursue something you care about. That pretty much sums up the measure of sacrifice it probably takes to make figures as great as that. Great in what they do, not in who they are as people. I mean, whether I mean, take for instance a guy like Woody Allen. I don't know if all the controversy surrounding him is true or not, but that doesn't mean I'm, if and if it is, that's not going to mean that he didn't create great works. I mean, Kevin Spacey, based on what he's been, he's done, he's a piece of shit. But that doesn't mean he isn't a great actor. Again, I don't know if, if it's true or not. Most likely it is, or maybe he's just a prick and he just pissed off too many people that decided to make the same accusations. I don't know. I don't claim to know. I'm not an insider. But the point is, I mean, well, I've made multiple points in this one talking about Whiplash because, again, it's a film that's so fucking rich that I don't even think you can boil this down to just one episode, and I think I will do another episode about Whiplash, and if I do, I'll mention it the next time I talk about it. But for now, all I can say is, Whiplash is is a film about the idea of greatness and what it really costs, and well, my, my thoughts are on Andrew, well, that's hard. Because when you think, what do you want, greatness or morally safe mediocrity like that of his father because that's just fucking boring and even that can be used to justify people's complacency and or their need to make you just as complacent as they are because i feel in many ways that a lot of people who talk down to artists or their pursuit and do it as a means of trying to be look out look out for them because they're afraid of getting hurt i think on some level and i think they even lack the awareness to contemplate that maybe they're just they're secretly envious because they didn't take that risk and the person they're talking to is willing to even at the expense of losing and <laughs> even at the expense of their own life and let's be honest life is short and Marcus Aurelius said it himself death smiles on all of us all we can do is smile back I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I hope you check out the crypto links I've left down below, as I always do. Hopefully, I'll get the referral. We both get the referral awards if you decide to click on them. You know the sponsors of this podcast being Fountain, which is a podcasting app that allows you to earn Bitcoin while you listen to your favorite podcasters. And then there's Anchor, the podcast platform that allows you to create your own podcast, the click of a button, you can just basically record yourself, distribute it across all the other platforms without having to do the, uh, publish it on each of them individually or setting up, set up an account, which is fucking awesome. 
Oh, and I might have a third sponsor coming up soon. I'm not entirely sure. I'll know. I'll probably know by tomorrow. But anyway, I hope you all enjoyed this episode and uh, stay tuned to see if I'll make another wi- another a continuation of my take on Whiplash. Peace. We all love peace. <laughs>